Welcome to Loud and Clear, a podcast dedicated to amplifying the voices of women in music. I'm your host, Olivia Adams, and today I have the pleasure of speaking with Cherith Alexander about effective adjudicating strategies. Cherith is a dynamic pianist based in Weyburn, Saskatchewan. As a respected piano and theory teacher in the community for over 25 years, she has worked with a variety of students of all ages and levels. Many of her students have received awards, including RCM gold medals and provincial music festival honors. Cherith is also a member of the College of Examiners for the Royal Conservatory of Music. As an experienced collaborative pianist and chamber musician, Cherith has performed with many renowned musicians and especially enjoys coaching young musicians from the piano bench. Cherith is passionate about the value of music festivals and has had the privilege of adjudicating more than 60 festivals throughout Western Canada, including Winnipeg, Saskatoon, Regina, and Calgary, Edmonton, and Vancouver Kiwanis festivals. In 2017, she developed the curriculum for and facilitated the first adjudicator bootcamp in Saskatchewan which is a workshop designed to train and inspire new and current adjudicators in her province. Welcome. I'm so excited to chat with you today. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. I'm so happy to be here, Olivia. It's lovely to get to see you again. I have fond memories of you sitting with me when I was doing some adjudicating in Saskatoon. And uh, it's lovely to be part of your podcast today. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I also have wonderful memories of um, you adjudicating my students and you helping me <laughs> as a young adjudicator. So it's really great to to be able to chat with you. So before we get into talking about music festivals and adjudicating and all that goes into that, I wonder if you could let our audience know how you came about becoming a musician. What's your origin story there? Oh, that's a great question. Well, I like to joke that when I was a young person, I took piano from whichever aunt I lived closest to at the time, which is true. (laughs) Both my mom and dad are from musical families. My mom's a beautiful singer, plays the piano. My dad's from a family of nine, and I believe five of them made their career in music of various uh, sorts. And two of them were piano teachers. So I started with my aunts and music was just part of our home. You know, my mom played records all the time, not usually classical music, but just lots of uh, sacred music and John Denver and all that great music of the 70s. So when I was a young person, you know, music was just part of life. Our family sang together. I started playing the piano at church when I, I think I was probably eight, nine or 10. I was little because there was no one else. My mom played the organ. And so, well, why don't you see if you can play a few notes on the piano, Cherith? And so, you know, it was just part of my life. And then I think as I got older and into high school and thinking about a career, it was just a logical fit because I dedicated a lot of my life to music and musical studies. So yes, I was saturated with music from a young age, I suppose. I love that. And that I think that's so important. A lot of our interviewees have said the same thing was music was just a part of the home. And yes. so it was just a natural fit for them. I love that. Mm. So festival season is upon us when this episode is going to air. And I know so many teachers are gearing up to send their students to music festivals or they're adjudicating festivals themselves or they're helping run festivals and they're working with adjudicators. So in your professional opinion, what makes a good adjudicator? Mm. Well, I mean, I think the most obvious uh, first step is you have to have musical knowledge, you know, just you you have to have experience and and not just musical knowledge, but I think teaching experience is what's most valuable because it's one thing to be able to identify and sort of diagnose what might be helpful to a student, but it's another thing to actually help them accomplish that or give them some suggestions that you know have worked in the past. So certainly that experience teaching is really valuable. And you also have to be a good communicator, you know, 
know you and I, I'm sure both know people who are fantastic musicians and teachers, but who might find the pressure of adjudicating very challenging, either time-wise or just either written or verbal communication-wise. So it does take some of those skills. And also, I always say you have to have people skills, like you have to actually enjoy people. <laughs> you know, you have to, and children, right? You have to, like I find adjudicating is is so fun. And also, I, I always say it, I find it much easier than teaching because, you know, when you teach your children, your students, they whatever their challenges are at the piano, they're weekly, right? You just, yeah, we worked on it, but then, and then if there's things that aren't sort of working well for them technically you have to sort out how to solve it and those things are difficult but as an adjudicator if you enjoy hearing young people play the piano it's it's lovely because you just have one little interjection into their musical life which hopefully is helpful so that enjoyment of of people and I mean I just love listening to young young and old people play the piano absolutely I mean to me it's one of my favorite seasons and the best parts of my job because I get paid to sit and listen to music yes that's very true And I'm finding as I'm getting older, I'm teaching less and doing adjudicating and examining and these kinds of things more. And partly it's life circumstance, but also it partly just because of how enjoyable that is. It's inspiring to see and hear young people that are dedicating themselves to learning to play the piano, right? For those of us who spent our lives in in that endeavor. Certainly. So the last few years, most of our festivals have been online. So for me, at least, this is my very first year adjudicating in which all of my festivals are in person. And um, it's been usually a mix or a hybrid model. Some festivals went in person, some provinces didn't because of the restrictions that were taking place. Some were completely online, some were completely in person. So I'm curious, as an adjudicator who has assumedly had those same experiences of working online and working in person, what was that like for you during COVID? And how is it, how do you see it shifting? this spring? Yes. Well, I also have uh, five assignments coming up and they're all in person, which I'm very happy about. You know, when we made the move to online festivals, it was a necessary move. And just like I graduated from university without using the internet. That's how old I am. I'm right at the cusp. Like I didn't have an email address till the year after university. And so, you know, the idea of teaching online, like when, when we first locked down and thought about teaching online, I just wanted to hide in my basement with a stack of books till this was all over, but realized, no, I'm I'm going to have to learn how to teach online. Teaching online work, I found remarkably well. I'm I'm just astonished by how well that worked. And it's a tool I'm still using. Examining online, I found has worked extremely well also. But the online music festival, while it was necessary, and I think served a purpose and helped keep the kids with their goals and hopefully getting some helpful feedback and keeping our festivals afloat, which I'm very passionate about. It just was not the same as an in-person festival. And so I spent a lot of time thinking about it. And I I think it's about the community aspect of festival. So when you go into an exam room to take a piano exam or a piano lesson, typically it's the examiner and the student. That's it. Or the teacher and the student. So this format on Zoom or whatever platform works quite well. But at a festival, you know, my memories of festival as a young person, what I loved was the community. It was the support. It was the other musicians encouraging each other, uh, inspiring each other. It was the cheerleaders, as I called them, the, the women, mostly women at that time who helped run 
from the festivals and who encouraged me in my studies. And, you know, I live in Saskatchewan and in rural Saskatchewan, especially we have such an incredible festival tradition. And I've been in small towns where the town almost shuts down for a couple days of festival so everyone can come. And so while the online festival was necessary, after that first year, I did a lot of online adjudicating. And then I told my husband, remind me, I don't want to do this again. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I take more work than I should. I said, don't let me take more of those jobs. Because I just found Again, that's the people skills, right? The thing about festival that's lovely is the interaction with the students. And when you're in person, often, and I'm sure I get it wrong sometimes, but often you get a sense of what will be most helpful to the student. How much information do they actually want from you? And how much are they absorbing? Whereas the online format, especially when it's not live, is it loses that community aspect and also the interaction aspect. And so I, like you, I'm just thrilled that we're back to having primarily in-person festivals this year. Yeah, me too. I'm that was something I really missed. Um, I had one year in which I had a couple like, you know, we were online, and then I had a couple in person the next year. And that was great. And then we were back online last year. Yes. Then I went back to that, you know, adjudicating where I'm just apartment filming a video, right? Hoping like, is this gonna help the student? I don't even know. I felt the exact same way. And I know my own students in those situations, a lot of them didn't even watch the videos. Somehow it became more about the mark I found and and less about the learning experience and I mean those marks and things are part of festival but with the online format it just felt like that was sort of how it was weighted and so I learned a lot of interesting things from doing that work as we all did yeah, yeah, we all got a lot of education in in terms of how to run things online and virtually. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and I learned you can learn new skills. Certainly. Because all yes. the skills that they didn't teach you in university, I was, had no idea I was going to be an audio video editor. And now <laughs> I get to edit a podcast. So I mean, those skills worked well for me. Absolutely. Very valuable. So what are your best tips for writing comments and giving feedback to students? Because it's so so important. And I think that every musician listening has memories of either bad feedback or good feedback from an adjudicator that really like lifted them up. And this can really make or break a festival experience. So how can how can we do it effectively? Yeah, great question. I have the same experiences. Like I think we all do people a generation older than me have even more stories, right? Of an of an incredibly blunt adjudicator who who sometimes said things that maybe now we can laugh at, but the time were rather painful. And of course, that's, oh, goodness. I mean, I, I I think most of us are well aware that's not the goal. And at the same time, there are some things, and most of them are common sense. But I think one of the things I always tell young adjudicators is be quick in your writing. You know, I think a lot of students, some students do study that written form that you've, you've taken the time to craft. But for most of them, it's the personal interaction I find with my students that they remember. And we'll review the written comments, but be quick in your writing. Don't don't, don't write forever and ever. Make Spend as much time as you can interacting verbally with the student instead. And of course, the good advice always, that sandwich method of a positive, a suggestion, 
question, a positive, starting and ending with a positive. I like to write a student's name always on the adjudication form to try to make it personal. Olivia, you've seen me juggle stickers. If they're young people, I like to do stickers. Using words like consider and aim to and work towards when making suggestions as opposed to do this or you, you know, and just being kind. You know, I mean, I think the goal, I always say the goal as an adjudicator is to have any student who plays for me. If you ask them, will you be in the festival next year? I hope they will say yes. You know, that is the goal. And so I think in those comments, it's always focusing on the kindness and and giving that suggestion. Absolutely. But you know, focusing on one or two things. If you make a long list of suggestions, especially for an elementary age student, it's that's not helpful. It's not, and you're telling them things their teachers already know. None of this is news to anyone. So just keeping it simple and, and straightforward and focusing on the, the positives and, and that kindness, I think is, is so key. Mm-hmm. It's interesting that you say that like the most important thing is, is the kindness because I've adjudicated some festivals and the organizers have said, oh, thank you so much much. You're just, you are such a kind adjudicator. And I was like, are people not kind? (laughs) Oh, Olivia, this is the line I used to get when I was younger and I had a young family. People would say, oh, you can tell you have children because you're so kind to the kids. And I would always be like moderately offended because I adjudicated quite a bit before I had kids (laughs) and I'm pretty sure I was kind. And also my own children would certainly not always use the word kind to describe me. I don't think that's a necessity. But yeah, it is like, why wouldn't you do the job if you're not interested in being kind to young people who are learning? Like you said, the goal is that they keep making music, that they want to return That's to right. here, that absolutely fostering a love of learning music. Absolutely. I agree. So what's a big, on the flip side, what's a big no when adjudicating? Well, I think stealing the show. That's what... <laughs> I, I, you also have heard me say this, Olivia, as an adjudicator, you are both the most important person in the room and the least important person in the room. So you set the tone for the festival in the way you interact with the students and also with the volunteers and with other people that are there. You do set the tone. If you are anxious, if you are grouchy, you know, it, it does carry over into the the whole atmosphere however in reality it's not about you at all it's about the children and the the students and their music and so sometimes I think adjudicators I mean I love to tell stories you've heard me tell stories but you have to be careful not to tell so many stories that it somehow becomes about you and I think that kind of goes along with the writing and talking too much you know if you write too long if you talk too much as opposed to interacting with the children and talking about their music which is is the goal so I think that's one of the the things we have to watch out for it. And I think the most helpful way is this idea of sort of, it's not about you, you know, it's not a time to sort of prove how smart you are in some way or, or talk about all the people you know, or that sort of thing. Certainly, certainly. I think it's really good advice. So I was curious, because you had mentioned marking became this focus, the marks became the focus of the music festival. And I know that for a lot of us as teachers, that's something that we try to stray away from because you know I always tell my students we don't play for marks we play for the music right we play for the people that we love and we play because we love making music ourselves but the reality is that marks are a really big part of festivals they determine who gets scholarships who gets to go on to provincials or even nationals or the Canada West competitions and things like that that happen and so I'm curious do you have feedback to give to adjudicators or teachers in terms of marks and what kind of focus we should give them and what kind of weight we give to them yes well I agree completely and I 
talk to my students about the same things that, you know, the mark, of course, is not the goal of festival. The goal of of festival, as you say, is to make music together. And also it's the preparation, right? It's the journey. Even if that day is a complete flop, it doesn't take away from the preparation. And at the same time, I think because most of us think this way as musicians and teachers and want to downplay that, sometimes adjudicators don't give a lot of thought to their marks. And this is a pet peeve of mine. I, I could get on a little soapbox about it because, you know, at the same time, if we're hired to give marks, if it's a competitive festival, then I think what matters most is just being thoughtful in the marks that you give. So knowing before you go into the festival, what their what their marking range is, how that breaks down, often having sort of a, for lack of a better word, bronze, silver, and gold, or three categories that when you hear a piece, you can say, okay, this is here, which one is it in? And giving marks in that way, because the marks have to be thoughtful for the very reasons you said, Olivia, for it so that when you do your scholarships or for provincial recommendations and other things, you've been thoughtful in those marks and that they haven't just been randomly assigned because they aren't important. And so I, that's the advice I would give adjudicators not to make the marks a big deal. You've heard me, I, I really try not to do that. And at the same time, certainly the, the children are aware of marks and you want to be thoughtful about it. For example, my students, sometimes they want to know even which one of my pieces did the adjudicator think was the best. And so if every single mark they have is the same, (laughs) it was like, really? (laughs) And I mean, we're all guilty of that. My husband teases me about festival marks and how there's kind of 10 of them, you know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a narrow range. range. But, you know, even looking at it in that way, that a student could say, oh, I think that was the piece that the adjudicator thought went the best. So just to be thoughtful in marking and not to say, because it's not the most important part of festival, I'll just do it as an afterthought. Right. Because they really do matter. And I think, especially towards the higher levels where they're maybe university students or they're grade 12, they're graduating and they're trying to get to those bigger competitions you know, through their marks, that that does really matter to them. Absolutely, it does. And so even knowing the standards is helpful when you talk about big events. So like Provincials or Canada West or other uh, competitions that some of the festivals may funnel into, having a good understanding of what level, you know, attending Provincials yourself, uh, so you know what the level is, and then can be thoughtful in your marks. It's very important because as the students, you know, we have fewer and fewer senior piano students where I live than we have over the years. Sometimes it ebbs and flows, but, you know, students have a lot of options. And so those students that are working at an advanced level, those marks really do matter a lot to them. And as you say, can help them move on to other opportunities. So you just have to be thoughtful about it. Yeah, certainly. So sort of shifting the questions a little bit, what advice do you have when there's a particularly unfortunate performance at the festival? Either there's lack of preparation, or perhaps it was due to performance anxiety. And usually we can tell the difference between the two. I would say about 99% of the time we can tell the difference, right? What do you do as an adjudicator when you're like, well, I don't know that there was anything super positive that you Mm. can say about that piece because Mm -hmm. of perhaps what took place. Yes, that's such a challenge. I love the use of your word, the word you used, unfortunate. I often will use that word, you know, there was an unfortunate memory lapse or because it is and and you're absolutely right, Olivia, you've obviously been doing this long enough now to know you can almost always tell if it's lack of preparation or just the day. And so a few general thoughts. One is the more well prepared a student is and the better a piece goes, the more specific your advice can be. 
and also maybe the more advice you can give. So if a student has a performance that's either just underprepared or they just had a really rough day, I give less suggestions, not more. Because you know, they don't care what happened in bar 26, beat three, <laughs> you know, they're, you know, we don't need to be really, you know, you don't have to be specific in those cases. And I would just try to stick to general musical ideas. So sometimes if something's just not well prepared, I might also ask them some questions like, you know, give me ideas on how you like to practice this piece. And maybe I can show you another idea for how you might practice a section or something. Um, So trying to go more general and talking even about how to prepare well, but of course, doing it in a way that in no way singles them out or makes them feel less than and especially if it was just one of those days which oh goodness we've all had those days Certainly. um this is where in person helps right because you you have you can see how they're taking what you say and so i just would again try to focus on the positive and stick to the generalities not the specifics when things don't go well or especially when they aren't well prepared mm-hmm. i think that that's really helpful so i've had the privilege of of hearing you adjudicate multiple times and also sitting in your your seminars for the adjudicator boot camp and also being able to sit alongside you and learn from you adjudicating. So I've heard you give this speech on what you call the memory bug. And I've heard you give it so many times in festival and it helps just give a sigh of relief to the Mm. room when the memory bug bites. And I myself have borrowed that speech from you and given it to students as well. And I wonder if you could share that with our our listeners. Oh, I can try. I have a lot of different speeches, Olivia. So I hope this is the right one. But I have a very specific memory of this and I have shared it a number of times because it was the first time I I had this thought. I I know I was in Prince Albert. I know I was young because I had my oldest son there with me and my mom and he's now 24. So it was a long time ago. But it was there were it was a class of four young women, early teens. And um, first one got up and had memory trouble and it just she was not able to recover. It was it didn't go well. And then she sat in the front row, you know, waiting and you could tell she was crying. And so then the second girl got up, same, all four, four in a row, because the memory bug got in the room, right? And we talk to our students about this sometimes when you're sitting and listening, which I want all my students to do. If something's not going well, it can make you start to doubt your own preparation. And especially in those teenage years when just being in front of people is anxiety inducing on its own. And so I got up to adjudicate and there were four beautiful young women all crying. (laughs) And I was like, oh dear. And so that was memory was always a challenge for me when I got to university I sort of sorted it out but I still I don't play from memory and so I related like I was almost in tears myself because I know that feeling I have been there and so I just said you know I can see you you guys are upset that things didn't go as you'd hoped but do you know what happens to students who have trouble with memory in the festival and they all looked at me and I said they become adjudicators (laughs) (laughs) it's so true Because I, I mean, really, like we've all been there. It happens. It's and and yes, we can talk. Then I would talk to them. You know, if something is, if the main issue is memory, I'm not going to talk about musical things. I'm going to talk about memory and any advice I have about how to memorize well. And definitely encouraging them to perform before the festival. Right. So many students look at, I'm getting ready for festival. I'm getting ready for festival. And then festival is the first time they perform that piece, which is really treacherous, right? And it doesn't have to be a recital 
little, it can just be a little studio class. I talk to them about playing even just for their parents or their friends, but have them sit in the room and stare at them while they do it. And, yeah. you know, just then we just talk about memory things and, and, and performing experience. And, and the fact that as you get older, those nerves don't go away. You just get more familiar with them right? As you have more experience, it's not that you don't like if I play from memory, I'm very anxious. Uh, but I, it's now a little bit like a, an old friend, right? Oh, I know why I feel like this, because I'm anxious about my memory. So so yeah, I hope I hope that's helpful. I think we just have to make them put them at ease and let them know this happens. And at the same time, try to help them develop the skills. Because you know, most times when there's memory trouble, it is, a, it also points to a lack of preparation. But sometimes that memory bug gets in the room and no matter how well prepared you are the mind can do things can't it oh certainly certainly it can I, I have this very clear memory of playing in music festival and I was a teenager I was playing a, in a Bach class playing a prelude and fugue mm. and the memory bug appeared that day and I my prelude I remember completely fell apart and I was able to make it through the fugue but I could not make it through the prelude and so the adjudicator was actually Dr. Stephen Wrench and he he goes was that the first time that's ever happened to you on stage and I was like you know nodding trying to hold back tears so that I don't cry in festival and he was like okay I just want you to know that that's happened to me lots and it'll probably happen to you again. <laughs> that's right. Some memorization tips that I still use as part of my practice today. And when I'm teaching students, he gave me some really helpful memorization tools. But just the fact that he just said, oh, that's happened to me lots. It'll probably happen again. Like, congratulations. Yes. It's the first time. <laughs> yes. I had a, a really super bright young student years ago who never had memory trouble like had never had that experience she just had nerves of steel and then when she was a teenager she had one experience where she didn't she just had a little memory glitch and she solved it but it made her very upset you know that and and I had the same speech it's like I'm relieved that this finally happened because it was going to happen eventually like you are not perfect like it's going to happen yeah. to all of us and so I love that Stephen went there because it's true anyone who says they haven't been there that's performed a lot is, is not being honest. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Do you have um, a favorite memory from adjudicating music festivals? I know it's been such a big part of your life and your career. Oh, goodness. Well, I have so many, I don't know where to start. I mean, over the years, certainly, um, I've had a chance to adjudicate students you really remember often because they're dealing with a challenge. So whether it's that they're on the autism spectrum or have some physical challenges or things that and, and make incredibly inspiring music. Those things stick with me. You know, they're memorable. I have a memory of uh, I was in Calgary years ago and I heard an eight-year-old Jan Lezecki play. Wow. And I, I literally, literally, he played Bach, two Bach symphonias and a bunch of other things for me. But I was, I was crying at the table when he was playing Bach. And when I got home, I phoned June Barber, who's now passed away, but was one of our great music teachers here in Weyburn. And I said, June, I just heard Canada's next great pianist. He's eight You're and he has correct. blonde curly hair <laughs> and he lives in Calgary. And I, I nailed it, right? I was so oh, proud absolutely. of myself. But, you know, so I mean, I've had some great experiences, but, you know, one that I've told a lot of times, and it does stick with me, is in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. They have some d dedicated teachers who teach in the heart of the 
the City program, which is a program we have in some yes. centers here for children whose families perhaps cannot afford music lessons and who don't typically have pianos in their homes, but are given lessons at school for without cost and then often practice at school. So in Musha, they have this lovely afternoon. I've been there twice when they've done it where all the children in that program play for the adjudicator. And we don't give out marks. We just give some comments and congratulations. And there was a young man. I still can picture what he looked like. And his name was Terrence. And he got up. I heard him play twice. The first time he was maybe 12 or 13. And he was going to play Spooks, you know, that beloved Canadian piece. And this tricky little piece. And most of the kids, you know, they were just doing the best they can. They maybe weren't too serious about piano, but it was awesome to hear them. Terrence gets up and plays the best spooks I've heard in my life. Absolutely perfect. Every detail. It, you, it, you didn't expect that to happen. Here's a kid who obviously has incredible musical potential that was tapped because of this program. Then I was there a few years later and he was there again and he played a Chopin Nocturne. Mm. And that, you know, that innate musicianship that was inside him, it, it still resonates with me. I had a chance to talk to his parents that day and they were like, we don't know where this comes from. It wasn't a home that played classical music. And yet, you know, there are those moments when you hear children with this incredible gift and this incredible uh, natural musical sense that really is inspiring and sticks with you. And, and, and it becomes not about all the musical details, but just sort of you see their heart shining through and oh boy, those, those stick with you. Yeah, I've cried at the adjudicating desk more than once. <laughs> I love it. It's oh, great. It's always wonderful to just even to be able to to like go back and hear someone who's you know grown up a little bit yeah. and and see how their music's progress it's it's such a unique experience I love that well it's been just a real pleasure getting to chat with you we're gonna wrap up our talk with a few rapid fire questions that I've asked everyone on the podcast this season no wrong answers just go through gut could you point to a moment when you knew you wanted to be a musician Mm. Well, I think for me, it's, it was about collaboration. So I accompanied all my friends in high school on their band solos. I went to Banff when I was a young person to study and ended up playing for everyone else's charity rather than practicing my own. <laughs> so I think it's that collaborative. That's what I've always loved to do. Yeah. Um, that those were the experiences that where I got the most joy. I always say if you play the accompaniment, the orchestra part for a concerto, you get to have all the fun with not with half the work or a tenth the work or maybe a twentieth of the work. Uh, those collaborations for me as a young person, even those high school band solos, people are like, wow, you're really good at accompanying. And I thought, oh, I love doing this. That's great. Do you have a favorite piece or song to perform currently? Oh, well, I'm pretty lazy when it comes to practicing. I only practice when I have a gig, it would seem. But when I get practicing, I love the Rachmaninoff preludes. And there's a bunch of them that I have played. And, and if I get a good practicing um, uh, burst of energy that's unrelated to a gig, that's what I'll always practice. I'll pull out my Rachmaninoff preludes. That's great. Have you ever been given bad career advice? And what was it? Mm, well, I went to university in Vancouver, but I married a Saskatchewan farmer. I always joke I was a child bride, which isn't quite true, but I did just have my 30th anniversary. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, 
And so we planned to come back and live at the farm in Saskatchewan. I knew that even when I was in university, I got married in the middle of university. And and one of my teachers said, if you go live in small town Saskatchewan, you'll never have any good students. Mm. And that was really bad advice because, you know, it was about 20, not even 20, 15 years later, I had the top high school piano student in Canada. You know, (laughs) Megan Malatz was my student and she won the CFMTA awards and, and a bunch of other things. And I remember thinking that wasn't true. I moved to little Saskatchewan and I met not just Megan, but many other very fine pianists from our beloved province and even here on the farms around Weyburn. So yeah, it, you know, and often when you in when you're in a small center, you can make a giant contribution. So don't let anyone tell you you have to live in a big city. If you want to live in a big city, do it. But don't think that's the only place you can have influence and also have um, challenge in your career. Certainly. Yeah, that's great. What is good musical or career advice that you can pass on to other musicians? Ah, well, career advice, I tell young, um, especially adjudicators, I often get asked, how do you get jobs? Like, how did you get into the bigger festivals? And I always give the same advice, do a good job of your last gig. It's true for adjudicating, it's true for performing, you never know who's in the audience, you never know who's listening, that will give you your next gig. So most gigs in the adjudicating world come through word of mouth. And so it's not so much about, well, I don't want to say it's not about creating a brand and putting yourself out there. Those things are important too. But really, it's about doing a good job of your last gig. Mm -hmm. And that almost always will lead you to another one. Yes, I can think of that at uh, our piano festival here in Ottawa. I'm on the board and we often take recommendations from teachers who had a really great experience with another adjudicator through a different competition or other, yeah, just recommendations from other adjudicators is that's how we end up hiring most of ours. Absolutely. And I have people ask me that question too. If I've adjudicated somewhere and they thought I did a good job, they'll say, who can you recommend to us? And so then I, I have a people that I'm happy to recommend. So yes, this is how not just the musical world, this is how a lot of the world works, but especially in music. Oh my goodness, the community's small, and there's no room for divas anymore, right? If you're difficult to work with, you're not going to have work, do a good job of your last job. And you'll get the next one. Yeah. What are you listening to right now? Oh, well, my family will tell you and I I don't often admit this, but I don't listen to a lot of music for enjoyment. Music is it's work. It's work I love. But I think when music is your work, I listen to podcasts. So I I, when I got this invitation, Olivia, I immediately texted my kids, I was asked to be on a podcast. (laughs) Because they're so sick of hearing me say, guess what I heard on a podcast and not mostly about music, just what all kinds of things I'm interested in. So I like to read I like to podcast, but uh, I have done some listening late. The, my favorite pianist of late is not young. It's Stephen Huff. I've, I have his a uh, few of his albums. And then I ordered some of his arrangements. He does the greatest arrangements. And I found another pianist. I hope I say her name right. It's Elena Katz-Chernin. And uh, she's a composer who writes really interesting little tiny pieces, but that are very clever. Uh, that I, I like to listen to her music um, sometimes when I am reading or puttering around the house and then I I like to listen to a lot of music that's not piano because it's hard for it's hard to listen to piano music and not evaluate right it's just part of the job it's part of the way the brain works so like I like Nora Jones I like James Taylor I like Steve Bell or as my kids say old lady music I like all of those (laughs) Uh, that's those are that's what's on my uh on my phone that I like to play when I'm puttering around at other things 
Yeah, it's so interesting because uh, I would say that most of our guests on the podcast say something similar to that. They're like, I don't listen to a lot of classical music. And I think it's just because we're around it all day, like as part of our jobs, that I would be the same. Like, I don't listen to a ton of piano music unless I'm listening for a specific purpose, finding recordings, exactly. things like that. I often, enjoy, like, I really love listening to folk music. That's my... Yeah pleasure <laughs> listen I agree I agree and it's you know live music is different I love going to live concerts Certainly. absolutely but just to listen uh, to an album or on my phone or around the house. Yeah, I just don't listen very much to classical music and especially piano music because it's so hard not to evaluate with even if you don't mean to. I just returned from holidays and my husband and I were sitting in a restaurant and there was a pianist playing background music and he was fantastic. But my husband's like, well, what do you think? <laughs> I said, well, the arpeggios could be a little bit more tidy, you know, like, I mean, it's, it's hard to have supper and listen to someone play the piano, right? It's hard to turn it off. For me, it was usually I would like pull if I was listening to classical piano music, then I would pull up the score and I'd be distracted from whatever homework I was supposed to be working on. I was like, this is not helpful. <laughs> no, this isn't good background music. You need something completely different. I agree. I agree. I love it. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Do you mind letting our audience know where they can find you? And I'll also have links to everything we've referenced in our show notes. You know, Olivia, I don't, I am not very social media savvy. So I don't know if I have anything to tell you there. I mean, if anyone would like to dis, uh, discuss further um, I mean, I love talking about adjudicating. So if anyone wants to talk about questions, I do have email and, and cell phone, which is all on the registered music teachers website for Saskatchewan. But yes, I don't have much social media, I'm afraid. Well, that's actually, that's probably a good thing. <laughs> well, I kind of think so, but I know I'm a bit of an abnormality in that way. Well, thank you again for coming on the podcast and talking music festivals with me. It's been a real treat. Thank you so much for having me, Olivia. It's been a treat for me too. Thank you to the Saskatoon Symphony Orchestra for sponsoring this podcast. Make sure you head over to saskatoonsymphony.org to purchase tickets for upcoming shows. And if you don't live in the Saskatoon area, you can watch these shows via concert stream by following the link at the top of the website. I'm your host, Olivia Adams. This is Loud and Clear, and you can find me at OA Music Studios on socials. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next time.